Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka a while back i asked for suggestions of different guests i could have on the podcast and one name that came up over and over again was that of Alma Brunson. And so I was interested to read a little bit more about her, and I learned that she had lost her daughter, Michaela, a couple of years ago to suicide. And since losing her daughter, she has started a foundation, a mission, and done a tremendous amount of work to honor her little girl who died at just 16 years old. And... She's very open and honest with me on this podcast today about the way she felt as a mom, the way that she is grieving still three, almost four years later. And I really wanted to take some lessons away for myself as a mom. And I know all of you out there listening are moms. And I I wanted to know what we all should be doing differently in our houses, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our communities to help save young lives. Um, I did a little research and teen suicide has doubled between the years of 2007 and 2017 in just 10 years. And it's something that we need to do something about. And that's what Alma is doing. She's doing something about it and she's honoring her daughter in the process. So Um, I want to welcome Alma Brunson, and I want to invite you to give blood in Michaela's honor. And there is a blood drive going on this weekend. So you're hearing this podcast on Thursday, but this weekend there is going to be a blood drive, and you can stop by any of the Mississippi Valley Blood um, Center locations. And so I will put that information about how you can donate and contribute to the cause in the show notes of this podcast, and you can find out more about Michaela's Hope. You're listening to On a Mother Level. I'm Denise Hanitka, and here is Alma Brunson. Alma Brunson is in the podcast studio with me today, and we're here to talk about her daughter, Michaela, and Michaela's Hope, and the work that she now does to honor her daughter's life. And so I want to start with an email that Alma sent to me that um, was my introduction to Michaela. And I'm just selecting some parts of it because it is a little lengthy, but um, just some parts that stood out to me the first time I read it. And so it says, 
One year. I only knew Michaela one year. It wasn't enough, yet it was enough to see what a beautiful soul she was. She was always smiling, always. Her smile and laugh lit up any room she was in, truly contagious. She was so sweet. I honestly remember watching her as she took attendance in choir every day. She was always so silly. I thought she was perfect, so beautiful. She would wink at me and I would wink back and we would just make faces at each other. I remember one of her favorite things was Oreos with peanut butter. Every time she brought some to lunch, she'd give me some and ask, um, was always asking people if they wanted some and I always looked forward to it. She was so kind, always making sure everyone around her was doing good. I had plenty of bad days and she would always ask me what was wrong and she was just so genuine. It's crazy to think that under that beautiful sweet girl were so many sad and depressing thoughts that were weighing her down. I never would have imagined that she out of all people would end up like this. And out of all of the things I want to say, I just feel like nothing would be enough to begin to describe how precious she was. I'm sorry your life didn't seem worth it because to me your life seemed so beautiful on the outside and it was so priceless. But I guess now you're up in heaven doing what you always do, shining. So every time I see the sun out, I'll remember you're shining bright as ever. Thanks for leaving a legacy of pure happiness and joy. From now on, I'm gonna fight for joy. Fight for those around me to live such a happy, joyful life like you would have wanted. Remind people to always smile, always laugh. May this encourage all of us to spread love, to keep an eye out for people around us, and be aware there are people literally fighting against their own thoughts, their own minds. Depression and anxiety and any other mental illnesses are not something to just disregard. Be aware. Don't assume people are doing things or saying things for attention. Stop passively asking people how they are to expect good as their answer. You're gone but never forgotten, Michaela. Rest easy and shine bright, baby girl. You are no longer in pain. There's so much in those several paragraphs. And I guess my first question to you is why do you want to share that with me? I'd like to first of all thank you, Denise. Thank you for the opportunity to share Michaela's story. I think Michaela's passing is not in vain. God does not waste our pain. And we want to raise awareness for those that are suffering in silence, for those Michaela's out there that are wearing that mask of, I'm okay but inside they're fighting, fighting every day. Um, so thank you for- Thank you for being here. It's my absolute pleasure because every mother loves to brag about her child. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that that post accurately describes who Michaela was. Very caring, empathy, all inclusive. She had a huge group of friends. She was friends with everyone and anyone. A lot of people describe her as someone that you were just naturally drawn to because of her smile, her attitude. She um, was described by a teacher as she brought sunshine with her everywhere she went. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was Michaela. She uh, passed away 
in 2016. She was 16 years old. And it's my understanding she would have been 20 here in the next couple of weeks, her birthday. As Dad says, she made the math easy. She <laughs> was born February 20th, 2000. So Michaela would have been 20 years old. 20 years old. The 20th of this month. Tell me some things that she loved. Oh, Michaela loved to make you laugh. She loved being silly. Uh, she loved Ariana Grande. Uh, Michaela was a force. You always knew when she was in the room because she was funny, animated. Um, she had a contagious laugh. And she would do anything to make you laugh. If she thought you were down, she'd tell you a joke. She'd, she'd tickle you if she had to. Um, <laughs> she loved music. She did show choir. Um, she was um, just a really fun kid, just a lot of fun. Uh, we had a friend that um, said she was really easy to talk to, even as an adult. Um, he took the, his daughter and Michaela on a, on a trip, and he said it was so nice that she was able to converse, where some teenagers are just kind of very quiet or would sleep through the trip. Um, it was nice to hear conversation, and um, she was just a really fun kid. That's a cool compliment. Yeah, yeah. What does grief look like three years later? I think that's one of the things that we, I find myself telling people a lot. Grief is a very individual journey for everyone. Grief is as individual as the person that you lost. For us, we have the good days and bad days. You could um, see her picture or um, come across something that brings a memory and it makes you smile, it makes you laugh one day and the next day it makes you cry. Um, some days I get the Facebook posts that pop up or somebody, um, one of her friends will share a picture or a memory and it just makes me so happy that they still remember her. And other days you're just so angry that she's gone. It hurts. So it's, it's a different emotion, it's, in some ways, it's like it's been three years. And in some ways, it's, this happened yesterday. So fresh. Very fresh, very painful. I think there are still times where I drive home and I, it, the emotion just hits you and I cry and I hit the car with my hand on the roof because I'm angry. And I also say it's important to feel those feels. You have to honor those feelings. It's healthy to have a good cry every now and then, and it's okay to visit that sad place. Just don't stay there. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons that we, we do things to honor Michaela's memory, um, to combat those sad days. If I'm, if I'm having a low day where I just really, really miss her, then we find it a good deed to do, a random act of kindness in her honor. And it always makes you feel good to do a random act of kindness. So doing it in her honor is a way to have her right there with me. Because that's, and I know those, those little things as, that I, we found out later on that she did out of the kindness of her heart touched people. They were just little things that she did as simple as sharing a peanut butter covered Oreo at lunch or as big as just taking somebody and say, I think you're having a hard time. Do you need to talk to somebody? Um, so those little things d don't cost anything, 
but could really mean a lot to someone. How do you mark her birthday when it comes? Um, one of the things that we do for Michaela is we have an annual blood drive. It's a way for our family to honor a life by giving others life. So we have an annual blood drive that they hold at the high school, the Key Club, um, host that at the high school. And then we have an annual blood drive in the community that same week. And we invite people to set up an appointment and uh, donate. Uh, we want to, life is valuable, life is precious. And I think that um, there's a, a poem that I'd like to, to share with you by uh, Roger Bershon. I'm not going to pronounce that correctly, but it, it, I think it really uh, touches. It's grief can awaken us to new values, a new and deeper appreciations. Grief can cause us to reprioritize things in our lives, to recognize what's really important and put it first. Grief can heighten our gratitude as we cease taking the gifts life bestows on us for granted. Grief can give us the wisdom of being with death. Grief can make death the companion on our left who guides us and gives us advice. None of this growth makes the loss good or worthwhile, but it is the good that comes out of the bad. Obviously, we miss Michaela tremendously. So I, we as a family try and use our grief in working through our grief through the blood drive. Michaela was an organ and tissue donor. That's another way that we have taken our grief and worked through it by finding the good. Mm -hmm. Attitude is huge. Um, yes, I lost my daughter. And that's a very difficult everyday reality that I face. But I had for 16 years, eight months and 25 days, the most beautiful little girl. So attitude is key. Looking on the bright side is key. Turning that grief, tragedy into triumph whether that's the blood drive, organ donation. We do what we can to keep Michaela's memory alive because she is alive in our hearts. You don't get to this place overnight though. Our faith has been huge and instrumental. We know where Michaela is. We didn't lose her. We know exactly where she is. And we have a promise that we will see her again. We cling to that promise. And that brings us hope. And through that hope, we walk that grief. Michaela is one of five. You have a big family. We do. We have uh, five children. Our eldest is um, Danielle. She's a teacher in Panama City. Lindsay is a pediatric oncology nurse in Salt Lake City. Our son, Garrett, is in the Army, serving in Fort Irwin, California. And we have a junior in high school, Rebecca. Oh my gosh, some very accomplished children. We are children. very 
We are very proud. As I said, <laughs> mothers love to brag about their children. And if you give them a mic, they'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have all the time in the world, and it sounds like you have a lot to brag about. We do. We do. We're very, very blessed. And again, that's that attitude of gratitude where um, I'm thankful. I know there are women out there that struggle with infertility that were never able to have children. I'm thankful for the blessings that I have. And sometimes you have to recognize those everyday blessings. Mm -hmm. Some people walk through that grief journey alone. We were embraced by our community and our friends and our church and our family. And we were very, very blessed in that regard. Tell me, um, sibling relationships are always so fun and interesting. Tell me how Michaela was with her siblings. So Michaela was always the clown. We call her the glue that held it all together. Because if somebody was grappling or arguing about something, Michaela would do something silly to make everybody laugh and sort of cut that tension. Um, she was always the clown. All of the kids... Um, have a great sense of humor, but Michaela was always the one that was willing to go the extra mile <laughs> to just be absolutely ridiculous and make you laugh. And um, we 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 had they all had their own room. The girls had bunk beds. Our son had his own room, and it was not uncommon to find them all piled up in one single bottom bunk bed, oh, laughing gosh. and giggling and carrying on. Um, somebody had a foot in the head, and somebody had you know. Um, a butt to the face, but you know, they just love being together. Very close knit group of kids. And um, I think that was one of the things that is made it easier having mm -hmm. five kids. A lot of times people will say, how did you do it with five kids? We had really great kids. Yeah. And they really did get along well and um, just extremely blessed. At 16 years old, Michaela was a sophomore or junior? She was a junior in high school. She okay. had just started junior year. Okay. So what was happening in life at, as a junior for so, her? So Michaela was starting school. Um, she did show choir and track and um, really enjoyed cheering on her big brother that played football. And his girlfriend and her and were great friends. So um, they had the... The, the fall dance. He had just had the fall dance in October, so that's always exciting to get all dolled up and mm -hmm. go and um, have fun with your friends. So it's junior year. She's had um, fall dance, and you know you're you're really settled into high school at this point. You're not the new kid anymore, and um, you have so much to look forward to. Where I mean. How did you think, um, you know, things were going for her? Where, where did you think she was at? I think we were completely blindsided with um, when Michaela passed away. We really thought this kid, she by all means had it all together. She was a popular girl. She was in show choir. She was um, the fun, the funny girl. Um, we really thought of all the kids this kid's the best mm -hmm. on top of everything. And not the best of the best of our favorite, like the best. She really had it all together. She really had it all. It was not until after she passed that we found out it was a very different story. Um, whenever we went out to the grocery store 
uh, Michaela said hi to three or four and five friends. It was like walking a parade with her because she saw everyone she knew. <laughs> and she'd wave and go over and hand out hugs. And this was just somebody that you really did not feel had a care in the world. And on November 14th, 2016, I was at work. And the bailiff came over and said, what is your address? There's a call at your house. And we, hmm. you go with your gut. And my gut was telling me, I'm not sure about this. I left the office because I knew that my bailiff had told me the call was a 16-year-old had committed suicide. And my daughter had stayed home that day. The day that Michaela passed, she had said she had a stomach ache. And I went over and did the usual mom thing. Does she have a fever? Is it a sharp pain? Is it adult pain? Does it hurt on the left side or the right side? She says, I just don't feel good, mom. I said, okay, well, I'll check on you later. So I knew she was home, but never dreamt that that was Michaela. So I called my husband on my way home and said, there's a call to the house. I can't get a hold of Michaela. I had called repeatedly to no reply. My husband got to the house before I did. And the entire time I was going, we, lived, we have a long drive to our house. I kept telling myself, this isn't her. This isn't it. This is not it. And I didn't see any cars. I didn't see any. I said, this is not it. And as I got to our drive, I saw several emergency vehicles. And I threw the car into park and jumped out and screamed, no. But I knew she was, it was her. But you still don't want to believe it. No. I looked and saw my husband standing who had just identified her body. And I ran to him, still screaming no. It was the most horrific, difficult, terrible day. The longest day. We called it the longest day. Michaela had a new car. She had a job that she loved. She had lots of friends. She was well-liked and popular. She was planning college. There was nothing that indicated something's wrong. There was nothing that said, you should check on this. This was a little girl that came downstairs to the kitchen and would say, ta-da! And that beautiful little girl was now lying lifeless on the ground. I think you just go into a outside looking in sort of mode. Everything is surreal. 
your cognitive thinking goes out the door. It's hard to f- complete a thought. It was a very difficult, painful time. Let me stop you for a second. So how, who made that emergency call in the first place? We had asked, um, we were wanting to get internet at our home, but due to our rural location, we were having a hard time getting someone to um, be able to connect with us. So there was a gentleman that was going to come out to see if they could get a signal to us. And unfortunately, he found her. Oh, gosh. And this goes back to that looking for the positives and the negatives. Um, I, I did reach out to that man, and I think about him often because I'm sure every time he goes to a call, that memory is there. Mm-hmm. But that could have ended in a very different way if he had not found her and her little sister had come home from school. So that's where that looking for the positives and the negatives thinking comes in. Right. What happens next? You're numb. You are, and because we were blindsided, it, it just made it, what else am I missing? What else have I messed up? You go into that, you know, the, the different grieving stages of, of, of guilt and anger and sadness and madness. And it just, you, you go, it, we had to, my, my husband, I think had the, I basically blanked out. I, I think I just completely checked out. My husband had to collect the rest of the children and one by one individually tell them that their sister was gone. So our two eldest were in college at the time, and he went to one and told her her sister had died and had to hold his child who collapsed in his arms. He had to go to the airport to pick up his other daughter, who then collapsed in his arms. So he had a very difficult task that I was not even aware of until several months down the road how difficult that was for him and that he even had to do that because I was, I I just completely checked out. Mm -hmm. We all went to my parents' house and the family collected there. Our preacher came, the youth pastor came, and we all stayed at my mom's, my mom and dad's that night. The next morning came and you still have that, did this really happen? Is this really happening? And we began the process of the funeral arrangements. And that was the other difficult task that my husband had to endure. Michaela was um, an organ and tissue donor. That was something that was important to her. We honored those wishes. We didn't expect to honor those wishes so soon, but we did. But 
my husband had to do all the paperwork, do the medical history, I was completely unavailable. I think I just completely, I couldn't tell you what happened from the time I came into that drive until the next morning. Mm -hmm. And my husband didn't have that luxury because he had to do all these things that needed to be done. That, that stays with you forever. There's certain, I, I often think about emergency responders and the things that they have to take in, and I think they, they do this every day. Those are difficult things to go through. What, how did the pieces sort of start coming together? When do you start asking questions? How, how do you even begin to process what has just happened when there's so much to be done? Fortunately for us, our family came and really helped a lot with some of the immediate details with our, our youngest was um, in junior high and my brothers came and took her and the dog and those kinds of things that you just, they really are so far off your radar. Um, you're in this fog, and I had a, a notebook that I carried with me, and I had to write everything down because I couldn't, I couldn't finish a thought. So if someone brought a casserole, somebody was writing the name down. If somebody asked me something, I had to write it down because I didn't remember what I answered. Um, once we got through the funeral arrangements, we had to do the service. Our preacher was fantastic about including the high school kids. They had a candlelight vigil for Michaela the next night. There were 700 people at that candlelight vigil. Oh, my goodness. And they had invited us. They said, you need, you need to see this. You, you've got to see what, what's going on here. And we went to the church, and we sat, and the children got up one by one and shared stories about Michaela. And as you just lost your child the day before, and it's so heavy and it's so painful, I left that candlelight vigil feeling a little bit lighter after hearing these, these little people share stories about Michaela and how she had touched their lives. And they took... Um, a single candle and everyone passed it on and passed it on and passed it on and there's a, a video where you see this entire auditorium with how that one light lit that entire room because in some way Michaela had touched their lives that was the beginning of the healing that's when I started to think she wasn't just ours and that light needs to continue. When we um, talked about Michaela's funeral, it was a celebration of life. We wanted to celebrate that life. We wanted to encourage others to embrace and treasure life. And they made preparations. There were 1,500 people at Michaela's celebration of life. 
one of the stories that came out when we met with the preacher was Michaela liked peacock feathers. As a child, we went to the zoo and it was her mission to catch a peacock and take <laughs> a feather from the peacock. The zookeeper saw her and said, honey, you don't want to do that. They're actually kind of mean. And so she was kind of sad and uh, he saw that. And later on, we, he followed, found her and presented her with two peacock feathers and she was just elated. And so when we shared that story with the preacher, he ordered peacock feathers and included those in Michaela's celebration of life. Mm. And they have now become sort of a symbol of Michaela's hope. And so we share that story about that beautiful peacock. The beautiful peacock feathers are very unique and colorful and they make you smile. And that's Michaela. That was the essence of Michaela. So in her celebration of life, um, there was a lot of music because Michaela enjoyed music. We try to include a little Ariana Grande in there. Um, her choral group, the high school choral group performed. And I still have no idea how those children performed because we were in absolute tears. But that was important to them to sing for their friend. Um, and there were a few other choral presentations at the high school where kids dedicated songs to Michaela. So those things help through the grieving, but you still have that processing of why did she take her life? What, how did we end up here? So we found notebooks in Michaela's room that shed light on that. And in those writings, Michaela wrote that she had been suffering with depression and dark thoughts since elementary school. That was a complete and total shock to us. Because again, by all accounts, this little girl was bright, happy, joyful, very empathetic, funny, charismatic. When I think of someone that's sad and depressed, I think of someone that's wearing a black hoodie, sitting in a corner, secluded from the group that person looks sad. Not the girl that's walking through the lunchroom, singing songs and sharing her lunch. So that was one of the first things that we learned that this is, this is a, an epidemic. It's, a, it's something that if this could affect our family, it can affect any family. Let's go back to some of those writings. I mean, I imagine when you start reading, you're going, did I ever really know her? Did I ever really understand her? Mm -hmm. That must kick off a whole nother layer of grief in itself. It does. And not only the did I know her, but the why wouldn't she share this? I think it was more painful. There was um, several times where um, we would go on our little coffee dates or we would go shopping and there was lots of time together where I felt we were really close. I felt I was close to all my children. Am I close to my children? Is there something else I'm missing? You're, so now there's that constant questioning yourself. Did I do something wrong? Did I forget? Did I you know, give them too much of this, not enough of that? Um, so yes, there is that 
questioning as you go through the writing and you read the sadness and the, th- and the dark thoughts, this is not my child. This is not the child that came to the dinner table. This is not the child that sang the entire soundtrack to Frozen with me. Um, so, yeah, that's really hard. And the why couldn't we talk about this? We had an incident where um, a friend of ours had tried to take their life and was unsuccessful. And that was a shock to us. And it was um, an opportunity to have a conversation with our children. And this would have been about six months before we lost Michaela. And my husband sat them down and said, this awful thing happened. I want you guys to know if you ever feel sad or if there's ever, or, you know, we, we talked about this. This wasn't a mute point in our home. So why didn't she use that opportunity to say, I'm struggling. I have something to tell you. What, why wouldn't she speak? Why wouldn't she ask for help? That's, that's a forever haunting question. Mm -hmm. So that's, one of the things that we hope by speaking openly and honestly about Michaela's story, that we can change, that we can raise awareness, that we can say it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to ask for help. There's no shame or weakness in asking for help. Please say something, ask for help. As far as you know, did she tell anyone? The investigators, so they always do whenever there's a death, they always do. Um, an investigation. They found absolutely nothing from in, in um, interviewing any of her friends. No one had any inclination. No one had, they said somebody might have had a little piece here and somebody had a little piece there where, yeah, maybe one day she was a little blue kind of a thing. But nobody said, yeah, I noticed she'd been going on a downward spiral. The people that she worked with found her to be a delight. She would come home from work and tell me fun stories about someone that she helped at work pick out an outfit for a cruise. Um, She always was in a great mood. Not the person who was writing in these journals. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the question was brought up well, was there a breakup? Was there a friend conflict? Was there a a bullying situation? I'm sure all those questions came up too and just nothing? Nothing. There was nothing. Um, If there was any situation like that, it was never brought to light. Yeah. As as the friends were interviewed, she was a well-liked person. She was a popular child. She was involved. There wasn't any, there was nothing that said, well, it could have been this incident, or well, I do remember at this, there was nothing that came out to light. What do, as far as you know, what do the experts say about that sort of thing? Is that, is that more common than an incident or a moment or a something? I think that we're finding that depression and anxiety, it's a growing, and suicidal thoughts, it's a growing epidemic we have a lot of pressures with social media and being perfect and having the perfect life and the perfect look. And if I don't attain these particular means, I'm not good enough. 
There's huge pressure for teenagers today. And I think that there, I've been reading a lot of studies about a lot of screen time and the development of the brain. And they are finding a lot of children that are having more anxiety and depression because the brain is developing different because instead of outside playing, we're doing more screen time and we're doing more, um, the TV is the babysitter, Mm -hmm. the iPads, the babysitter, and we're not getting that outdoor social interaction. You'll notice a lot of kids today, it's hard for them to have a conversation with you eye to eye. They'll text you. Don't be weird and call me. Just text me. It's, it's true. It's very true. It's true. Well, I'm sitting in front of you, the mom of a three and a half year old and a one year old. Oh and goodness. these are the things I think about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's hard not to fast forward and think about the decisions that I will make and how it will shape their brain and shape their coping skills and shape their ability to share with me what their thoughts are. And, you know, I have two, I have two little boys and yeah, it's, it worries me more than it probably should at the ages of three and a half and one. But it's what we do as moms. As moms, we're always, you want to do it right. You want the best for your children. And so you research the car seat, you research the books, you, we want to do the best for our kids. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I felt I was doing right. It was open communication. You know, let's talk about it. Hey, how was your day? And it was always tell me one good thing that happened today. You know, because it, I didn't want just a yes or no. Did you have a good day? Yes. No. Tell me one good thing. As a mom, I felt I was doing the right things. I spoke openly with my children. We, I opened for dialogue. We had one-on-one time. Um, I, I, I don't really have the answer. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that, again, we speak openly. We want people to be aware. We want people to think. And we want people to think twice before they make a permanent decision mm-hmm. about something. It's um, it's just a bad day. It's okay. It's okay. Right. I'm sure you remember, though, too. Being at that age... Everything was huge. Yes. You know, everything was enormous. When you're a teenager, it's all or none. He's either absolutely positively in love with me or he hates me. I'm either absolutely beautiful or I'm just hideous. Everything Mm -hmm. is all or none. It's true. It's a difficult age. It's a really difficult age. And I can only imagine doing that with a world that's so much bigger because it's on a phone. Yes. Very public. I think that's... I, I watch these kids take the 15 selfies to get that one perfect mm-hmm. one. Um, if, if you don't have the right clothes, if you don't, I watch the, them do the makeup tutorials to get the perfect brow line. There's a lot of pressure to be perfect and mm-hmm. good. And, and it's, it is, it's a lot. And we forget just to have fun and enjoy life. So were these some of the um, things that were bothering her? Or as far as you can tell, was it more of a, a clinical depression where it's about the brain chemistry? It was and, more of a clinical okay. depression. It was more of a clinical depression because the thoughts that she was having, one of the things that she said in her writings was she was sorry to be a disappointment. Hmm. And Michaela was the farthest thing from a disappointment, nor was she ever given that indication. But when you have that, I, I say her little brain was lying to her because when you have, and, and, I, and I don't suffer from depression, so it's hard for me to speak to it, but from what I read, 
what she thought was happening was so not what it was. Right. Her way of thinking was, I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't have friends. No one really cares. Those types of thoughts. This child had 1,500 people at her funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very talented. She was trying out for the lead in the um, show choir performance. Um, but she felt she wasn't good enough. She felt that, you know, it, for Michaela, it was more of a chemical. Yeah, yeah. So I've been open on this podcast about dealing with postpartum depression. And so um, obviously two different things, but similar in the sense that your brain is lying to you. Exactly. You know, yes. and it's all because of the chemicals and the hormones mm-hmm. and and um, and the thoughts that, that I had were not based in reality or in truth or in um, anything that even remotely made sense. Right. And even though I knew at the time that they didn't make sense, they were very, very real that's to me. That's what your brain was telling you. Know? you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the only way that I can relate to those sorts of feelings. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and for me, talking about it has been so incredibly huge. And yeah. so I know that's why you're here today. Absolutely. Is to take away this stigma. And for so much of, of what I went through too, it was the stigma. Yeah. And, and I wonder um, for you as a mom, how you, um, how you handled, I imagine there were the feelings of failure. Um, and were there feelings of, of embarrassment or that this has happened to your family? Yes. I think, again, as a mom, you want to do your best to raise your kids. And having that going through the grocery store, and the people walking by, and I, in my in my head, I was like, I'm sure they're going. There's that woman whose child took her life, and there's the asking myself, did this really happen to us? Did this really happen in our family? Um, there is. You're constantly. I think I went through a long period of time where I was constantly second guessing myself. Am I screwing this up too? What am I? You know, what about? I, I think our youngest. It was difficult. It was a long time before I could leave her home alone. Um, she would come home from the school bus, and I would have to race home to beat her there because the thought of leaving her home alone for any period of time was just, um, you, you, you're, you're constantly um, fighting those thoughts. Yeah. And you, you begin to wonder, you know, constantly, what, if I do, what, did, I, what did I do wrong? What else am I missing? constantly beating yourself up for those things. Um, yeah, it's, it's very hard, very hard. How then were you, how do you, how do you manage the feelings that you have within your own self and your own grief? And then you have four grieving children and then your husband too. Yeah. And that's when we go back to what does grief look like three years later, our entire family is grieving slightly differently. They're all in a little different place. Um, I think as women, we like to talk about our feelings. That's hard for men. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I can grab a girlfriend and have lunch and say this is a hard day and talk it out. Um, for my husband, there were several days where he just sat in a chair and just cried. And it's hard to get, and it's, and it's hard to take somebody who is grieving and having a hard day and say, just get over it. 
You, you can never say that to someone because they'll never get over it. Grief changes, but it doesn't go away. I see, um, for me, what, like I said earlier, when I'm having a hard day, what can I do to make somebody else's day brighter to work through this? I'm going to do something in Michaela's memory, in Michaela's honor. My husband created Michaela's Hope. He's, we're all finding our way to grieve Michaela in our own way. And it looks a little different for everyone. And I think our son is having a hard time. He, it's hard for him to even talk about it. Um, and he'll say, Mom, I think, I think she's forgotten about me. And I say, she hasn't forgotten about you. And he goes, I haven't dreamt about her. Hmm. So there's, and it's difficult because I want to say, um, She's in your heart, but it's hard when you are in that dark place because you're sad, because you're missing that little piece of your heart. And so I say it's okay to visit that sad place. Just don't camp out there. But because grief is so different for everyone, what works for one doesn't necessarily work for the other. Mm -hmm. So I thrown myself into um, different projects to honor Michaela. And that's how I work through my grief. Um, my husband's, you know, planting a garden. He's got a bench and then we're going to plant a tree. Michaela loved Christmas and we're going to plant a pine tree next to her bench. And he has big dreams and everybody's handling it just a little bit different. Yeah. For you, are there any um, moments or signs or things that make you feel like she's with you? Always. I think, um, like I said, there's times where I still drive home and I all of a sudden the sadness hits or the anger hits. And I will pull up in the driveway and my phone tings. And it's a text from one of her friends. Hmm. Hey, Alma, I just remembered this funny story about Michaela. And they'll share a funny story. Or I just found this picture on my phone of me and Michaela. And I feel like it's her saying, Mom, it's okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Um, we, of course, talked about the peacock feathers that have become sort of symbolic of Michaela's hope and Michaela's story. And my husband and I have found peacocks in the most bizarre places. Really? We um, were watching a commercial, and it was a car commercial. The peacock had nothing to do with the car, but all of a sudden a peacock walks by. We were at a, um, on vacation, and there was like a printer box. And on the printer box, there was just this single peacock feather. And we just find these. And I, I say that part of it is your broken heart, your brain trying to help your broken heart. Is it really Michaela saying hello? I don't know, but it makes me smile and it makes me feel, it makes me, gives me a little comfort. I'm just now noticing your necklace. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful peacock. We have um, a lot of little peacock um, accessories. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of the memories of Michaela come from her friends. I love that they still reach out to you. It's a real blessing. And, and it just, it's a testament to the friendship and the friendships that she had, that three years later, um, I still have friends that will send me a text and say, hey, just wanted to call and say, I love you. 
thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're going to the dance and we wanted to stop by and show you our dress. Um, that means a lot. Yeah. It means a lot. And as I watch her friends grow, they're now in college. Uh, some are getting married. It's bittersweet. We've, we won't have that with Michaela. But I can embrace it and enjoy it through her friends and be grateful and appreciative for the time that we had with her. And that going back to focusing on the positive, focus on the time given and not the time lost. I have a lifetime to be sad until we're together again. I choose to look at the positive, to honor her memory, to do what I can to help others. Because that's what Michaela would do if Michaela was here. That just takes a tremendous amount of strength. And that's God that holds us up. That's our faith. And that's each other. There were many, many nights that my husband and I cradled each other and cried. Many mornings we woke up cradling each other and crying. And that faith is what gives us hope, that gives us strength, that we fall back on, and that holds us up when we cannot stand. I'd like to tell you that I'm strong, and that's why I'm sitting here. But I read the other day an article that I very much agreed with, and it said, I'm not strong. I wasn't given a choice. And there's so much truth in that. Mm -hmm. And I think as moms, when you have this beautiful little newborn, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And yet you do. Mm -hmm. And then you get a second child and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do it with two. And yet you do. Right. Because that's what we do as moms. We figure it out. (laughs) And with the help of God and friends and family. We are figuring it out. I want to talk um, about the mission of Michaela's Hope, but I, I pulled some um, um, myths about teen suicide that I thought were interesting, and I wonder if um, if you could speak to them just based on your experience, because sure. I because sure. I do want um, you know to to stay on this topic for a little bit longer. Um, number one, and we broached this a little bit. The myth being talking about suicide gives someone the idea to kill themselves. Because I think a lot of parents would feel right. like, I'm just not going to bring this up. Right. Because it's, then it's now a thing right. that we're it's talking like, about. It goes back to the, you know, if you talk to them about sex, then they're going to be interested about sex. Right. It's not. It's important, again, keeping that dialogue and talking about it. Um, it's, it's very important. And I think that's one of the things that, again, in sharing Michaela's story, we want to get that conversation started. This is a conversation to have with your children. With when we looked at Michaela, this wasn't a child that any of our children really that we thought, oh my goodness, there are huge red flags here. So no, it's important to talk, uh, not just to your children, but to your spouse, to your neighbor. I mean, just um, if you see someone, just be kind to one another and talk to each other. And how you doing today? With a sincere eye contact, it's important to talk mm-hmm. about it. Do you feel like do you feel like that there um, is something you would have changed about the conversation? I mean, obviously it came up that one time, but 
And I'm not suggesting that anything would have changed anything, but I'm just, I'm just wondering what your thought process is. I think if you, if, if, if we were in a different situation right now and Michaela was still with us and this hadn't happened to our family, I would have told you that what I was doing was right. Yeah. I, I have an open dialogue. We talked about it. Um, my children know that they can come to me. I, I felt that I was doing all the right things. And I think that that's another reason that we speak openly because I thought I was doing the right things. So I wanted everyone to know, um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about suicide awareness and depression and anxiety. It's a conversation that needs to be had. And so maybe if it's not just only happening in our house, if it's happening everywhere. Correct. And it's also important to educate ourselves on helping someone because maybe you don't have depression and anxiety, but I do. Can you maybe, what can you do to help get, get help for someone? Um, because if it isn't in your family, it's probably happening next door. Sure. It's such a huge epidemic. So I think it's very important to talk about it and educate ourselves. And that's one of the, um, I think NAMI is, is having, um, offering classes in Muscatine to help families and educators and foster parents of people that are, have uh, family members with depression, anxiety, and these types of issues and ways to help because it, it, it's important to know what can I do. Right. So the second myth they just want attention, they're selfish, they are taking the easy way out. Not true. That's a very, it's a very sad myth. You can't look at someone that's crying out for help and say you're just trying to get attention. Um, it's, it's just not true. It's not. I, I encourage people to ask for help. I encourage people to talk about it. Um, it's not the easy way out. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem that we hope to prevent. Um, myth number three, and this one I think is, is true for you, uh, they seem happy, so they must be back to normal. This myth being like, oh, we've dealt with this issue, and, and now I think everything's better. Right. It's, it's a, 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 sadly, I, I think I liken it to wearing a mask they're struggling, they're having a hard time, they put on a mask because they don't want to talk about it. They don't, they, they're afraid to ask, they're afraid of being um, ostracized or made fun of. Um, check on your strong people, isn't that what they say? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just important. Um, I think we are, for as connected as we are, we're very disconnected anymore. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Because we're not connected in meaningful ways. Correct. It's yeah. very surface connection. Yes. Yes. And it's connection that we kind of dictate. We right. decide who sees what of us. Right. Exactly. Very true. And again, that mask, I'm happy, I'm fine, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, number four, suicide only affects people with mental health conditions. Do you feel like she was suffering from mental health mm. issues or... Because we can only speculate based on her writings, it's difficult to answer that. Um, But I think based on her writings, she had depression. Mm -hmm. She had um, attempted several times. And she wrote in her writings that she had attempted several times. We weren't aware of any of those times. And it's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, I 
I looked at Michaela as the girl that had it all together. Not somebody that had mental health issues or depression or anxiety. That wasn't what I saw at all. And so um, that's hard. It's very hard. As a mom who's trying to figure this stuff out, where, where do you stand on the privacy of a child's writings? You know, did you know that, that, that those notebooks even existed in the we first didn't. place? We didn't. And I think that was one of the, one of the um, difficult things for me, again, having a child that took her life and then still having a teenager at home. Yeah. I don't want to miss anything again. I don't want to mess this up. And so, again, you're second-guessing yourself constantly. And nothing gave you the reason to go looking? I had no reason. I had no reason. And I, I had, um, I knew she liked to draw. I, you know, she had recently gone to Florida for a summer vacation and spent it with her grandmother and her aunt, her little sister. And she came back with a book full of recipes. And um, she had grandmother's recipe she was going to cook when she got home and the notebook was laying on the kitchen table and I went to pick it up and she snatched it out of my hand there were some writings in that notebook that she didn't want me to see Mm -hmm. and I thought it was just the recipes Um, so now when I see my younger daughter drawing and writing I go over to her and talk to her about what she's drawing and what she's writing And we also talk very openly about we're all in grief counseling. Mm -hmm. It's very important to um, talk to some professional about your feelings, about what you're going through. And we found it very, very helpful working through our grief. So we all go to a grief counselor. We've gone as a family. We go as individuals because I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. Can I be honest, though, because, and maybe people who are listening to this are thinking the same thing. Um, so, so many moms who listen to this have the same age kids as mine, maybe a little bit older, you know, yeah. and I'm going, what, what the heck am I supposed to do? It's hard. You know, I mean, if you did everything yeah. right and, and, and your kids are thriving. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? And and that's where I found myself in that blindsided mode. Our children, by all accounts, were happy and healthy and loved in a loving home. I, I wish I had an answer for that. But if anything, it brings light to this can happen to anyone. Yeah. You do the best you can. Yeah, there just really isn't a good answer for that. You know, I I wish I could say as long as you stay on the right hand side, it's going to be just fine. But I really don't. Truthful answer. I really don't. And if you'd have sat me down and said uh, one of your five children will commit suicide before the age of 20, I would have called you crazy. Mm hmm. Yeah, because my children are happy and healthy and loved and um, 
Yeah, I was blindsided. Yeah. I have no good answer for that. No good answer. But out of this is Michaela's hope. Out of this, Michaela's hope in trying to make sense of our loss, in trying to make, um, carry on Michaela's light and her legacy of love. My husband, along with two other gentlemen, Brian Moisel and Zach Kincaid, they took a leadership group class in Muscatine and they created Michaela's Hope, a charitable fund to help create programs and resources to bridge barriers and gaps for people that need mental health help and can't because they don't have insurance or they're underinsured or they can't make, they don't have transportation or they just can't find. As we've educated ourselves about mental health, after Michaela passed away, we found there's such a great need for mental health programs mm-hmm. and resources. Um, some folks do um, bring their kids in to try and get help, and there's a, a waiting list to get a bed for their child, or they have to go several miles away, several towns away to find a place for their child. And not everybody can afford that. Not everybody has a car. Not everybody has insurance. Um, so this is what we've created Michaela's Hope to do in hopes to raise um, awareness and to bring resources to help others in Michaela's honor and memory. Tell me specifically about the programs that are active right now in Muscatine High School. So Muscatine High School has, um, a, they have a liaison for mental health where the children come in, they meet with the counselors, and they try and get them set up with different programs and resources to get them help. Mm-hmm. It was um, a real eye-opener as we began to um, walk this journey of what can we do to change this? What can we do to help other families in this situation that we have found ourselves in before it gets to that point? And that was, we found out that children as young as preschool, elementary school, junior high and high school have mental health issues. They're seeing children that need help as young as preschool. And that just completely boggled my mind. That floors me. That really does. It it was a real eye opener. We sat, uh, we met with um, school board members and uh, Muscatine um, Hospital there with their mental health department and said, what can we do? What are we lacking? And from there came Michaela's Hope. How do you want to see Michaela's Hope grow in the next, let's say, five years? My dream would be to have a clinic. Okay. Where we could have something local so that people didn't have to wait for two and three weeks, four and five months to get their medicine, to see a psychiatrist, a counselor, a doctor, have something local. We found... um, it's very important for us to give back to our community because our community was huge um, in our grief supporting us. There were several fundraisers that were held when Michaela passed away because people said, we, what can we do? We're, we are at a loss. How did this happen? This impacted a lot of people because, again, if this can happen to our family, this can happen to anyone. 
after Michaela passed away, I had a lot of people that reached out to me, people that I know in my community that I thought have it all together. And they confided in me and said, I struggle with depression and anxiety. My child struggles with depression and anxiety. I tried to take my life. And I was unaware. This is a huge epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so um, this, is, this is what we would like to do. We would like to have, again, it's a huge dream, but for now, you know, we, we're planting that seed. Mm-hmm. We're planting that seed. The other um, project that you have is Michaela's Scholarship Fund. Yes. Um, we had people that donated to Michaela's memorial when she passed. We took all of that money and we created a Michaela Brunson Memorial F- Scholarship Fund. We have three $1,000 scholarships that we award to seniors in high school that are going into the helping profession. So psychiatry, hospitals, nurses, any kind of helping profession. Um, and we're very proud of that because that is um, feeding the future, the future doctors, the future nurses, the future helpers, the future first responders, the helpers. Do you ever look up and say, Michaela, this is all for you and this is all because of you? A lot. We say that Michaela continues to touch lives long after her death. She continues to help people and she continues to touch lives. And that's all her and the little gift that God gave us of Michaela. And that's you too, though, because it would be easy to walk away and hide and run and run, run, run from your feelings. Yeah. But you walk the high school where your daughter went to school. Yes. Yes. We just went to um, the high school a few weeks ago and spoke to the Klee Cub that is hosting Michaela's blood drive. And we wanted to introduce Michaela to the kids because they don't know her. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to school with her, but they're having this blood drive. And it was important for my husband and I, for them to know who this girl was, why we have this, why it's important for our family to have this annual blood drive and what an amazing young woman she was mm-hmm. and still is because she still continues to help people. And in celebrating her life, we're helping and giving others life through blood donation through Michaela's Hope. We volunteer through the Iowa Donor Network, raising awareness, encouraging others to sign up for organ donation. So Michaela continues to help others. Is there anything else that you want to say about Michaela that I'm not asking? Michaela was an absolute blessing and a joy that I will always continue to share and share her story in hopes that no mother will have to endure and feel the way that I feel. I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to share Michaela's story. I'm so, I'm so touched by your strength and, um, 
I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. And Michaela's hope, I hope it continues to grow. And God willing, it's it making such a big difference already. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your time and your opportunity. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.